welcome to another audio podcast by ChristchurchChristianCentre.org. I'd like to take you, if you will, to John's Gospel um, and chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses, first of all, from uh, John 6. In fact, I might ask somebody to read it, just so I give my voice a little bit of a rest before I share what God has given me. But if you turn to John chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read from... Uh, I think verse 51 through to verse 69. I wonder if somebody will be willing to, if you've got a good clear voice, read that for us. It's John 6 from 51 through to 69. Anyone? Dudley, thank you. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave. To, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God." Thank you very much, Dudley. Nothing changes, does it? The words of Scripture cause offence. The words of Jesus here caused offence and many people stopped following him. And today was reminded us of how contemporary that reality is in the experiences in our own country in these challenging times. It hadn't been an easy day uh, for Jesus. Yesterday he'd performed one of his greatest miracles. He'd fed 5,000 men and who heaven knows how many other people were there along with the men that were out leading into the holiday season, the Passover season, time when they were searching after truth and they were listening to what Jesus 
had to say, and he'd fed them from one little boy's packed lunch. It ended, of course, with them wanting to make him king and start a revolution, which was not what Jesus had in mind. And so he escaped, went up into the hills alone. And then late at night, when his disciples had given up waiting for him and had travelled over on the sea towards Capernaum on the, the western shore of Lake Galilee, Jesus also went towards Capernaum, but in his case, walking on the water and meeting them in the boat and stilling the, the storm at that moment that they had. And then the following day, today, the crowd caught up with him at Capernaum and Jesus challenged them, why are you here? What he says, you don't get it, do you? You didn't see the sign. You enjoyed the free lunch, which is fine. But what you need to feed on, he said, is me. You need to feed on my flesh and my blood. Strong words. Words that caused offence. Words that caused most of them to give up and melt away and go back where they come from. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You need to feed on me. You need to feed on my words. He was speaking, of course, metaphorically, spiritually, not about literally eating his flesh and blood. But they failed to understand it. Not an easy day. From 5,000 men yesterday down to just 12 left. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave as well? One of those, of course, would deny him, betray him. But Peter then, as Peter so often does, becomes the one who puts into words what I'm sure the other ten at least of the twelve believed. He said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe in you. Many years ago, I made a promise to the Lord to preach words of life. Over the years I've heard many anointed preachers doing that in, in much more powerful ways than I could ever hope to do. But I've also heard preachers who use the privilege of a pulpit to pour out judgment, who use their position to beat people up over their lack of faith or love or witnessing or sacrifice. I made it my commitment many years ago that even if I was preaching a challenging truth, I would still want to offer life and hope. I want to give words of life, Because the gospel is words of life. To whom shall we go, says Peter? You, you have the words of life. My promise, my experience is nothing compared to what happened to the great 19th century American evangelist Dwight Moody. D.L. Moody is seen as one of the great evangelists in history. A man who saw unknown numbers of people come to faith in Christ. But it hadn't always been like that. D.L. Moody started out, he was a great preacher, he had a congregation of some size, but his words were filled with doom and gloom and judgment and condemnation. Until one day he heard an English preacher, Henry Morehouse, preaching on John 3.16. He was only a young man and D.L. Moody wasn't that impressed with what he was saying and decided he didn't really want to go the way he was going. He was over in England at the time listening to this young man and then he went back to America but it was very clear that Henry Morehouse wanted to follow him and wanted to come to his church and preach. And D.L. Moody tried every trick in the book to make sure that didn't happen uh, until eventually uh, 
Henry Morehouse had arrived in America and called on him and said, look, I'm, in, I'm here, can I come and speak at your church? And in the end, D.L. Moody gave in and said, yes, you can come and speak at my church because I'm going to be away for three days and you can come and speak when I'm not there. Well, he came and he preached on John 3.16 the first night and John 3.16 the second night and John 3.16 the third night. And then D.L. Moody came back and listened to him again. And hearing him preach, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It revolutionized D.L. Moody's ministry. For the rest of his ministry, he preached words of life. And he had on his pulpit, probably a nice, nice one like this, <laughs> the words on the front, God is love. And it became the hallmark of his ministry that led him to lead so many people to the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he had done. Sadly, the people of Galilee wanted Jesus on their own terms. They wanted him to meet their needs, to satisfy their curiosity, to fulfill their dreams. What they didn't realise is that you can only have Jesus on his terms, not on your terms. It's all or nothing. And our culture today, of course, is no different. Because people, if they want Jesus at all, they want him on their terms. But Jesus says, you can't have me on that basis. It's all or nothing. You can't add Jesus to your life. You have to give him your life. It's a world of difference between those two. For Peter, it was clear. You have the words of eternal life. You know, words are powerful. I think when you start to lose your voice, as I have over the last four or five days, you realise just how precious words are, particularly if you can't get them out. They're such vital things. They're powerful. And few words can sometimes have great impact. If you say to somebody, I love you, what an amazing strength there is in those words. Or if you go to someone who's harmed you, and wronged you, and you say to them, I forgive you. There's great power in just those three words. But if you go up to somebody that you hate and despise, and you say to them, I hate you, that equally carries great power. So just in a few words, we can have great impact. I, I guess you know very well that it's a strategy in warfare to use words to undermine people's morale through pamphlets, through rumours, through radio programmes these days, through satellite communications and social media to try and undermine the enemy by using words. Just the power of words. Words can convey so much. They can convey your feelings. They can convey your attitudes. They can convey criticism, they can convey admiration, praise, thanks, frustration, bitterness, anger. All of these things can be carried on this amazing thing we call words. I always remember a, a little ditty we had at school in my day. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. Some of you will remember that. I don't know whether they still use that phrase today. Because the only reason we said that is precisely because it's untrue. Because words do harm us. Words can cause untold harm as well as being the means of life itself. 
This last week we've had the news being uh, talked through about the number of children that are bullied on social media. They're saying that it's certainly on the research 11%, more than 1 in 10 children that are bullied on social media. Some suggestions are that it could be significantly higher than that, just not being reported. For those of us who are adults in our childhood, we knew that if we were abused at school or anywhere out of, of our home, we could go home and the moment you closed the door, you were safe. You could go into your bedroom and you'd feel safe. The tragedy is today, of course, children can be in their own home, in their own bedroom, even in their own bed, under the covers, and yet they can be being abused by words from those that choose that means to attack them. Amazing, isn't it? Of course, now we also have the President of the United States using words on Twitter to influence people, not depending on getting his message through the, the political channels, now speaking directly to the people. Words direct to them. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, that the one we've been worshipping this morning is called the Word. The Word. <coughs> John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the living Word of God. Peter understood that way. You have the words of eternal life. Three years later, Peter would understand another incredible truth. And it's what I believe God wants to share with us this morning, and that is this. When he was confused and unsure after the death of the one he believed in, along with 119 others, he was in a private room upstairs in Jerusalem, hidden from the world. And then the Holy Spirit came and filled every one of them. And as he did so, he poured into their hearts and into their minds and out through their lips words of life. And they poured out onto the streets and began to share those words. And the church was born that day. And Peter discovered that day that he had the power to give words of life, words that God gave him. And here we are, 2,000 years on, still with the same power of words to touch the lives of people. It's amazing, isn't it, that through history men have used words to bring evil. And as I've shared already today, hundreds of cowards are using words to bully others. But Jesus still today has the words of eternal life. He is still the word made flesh, the word that brings light and life. But the truth that Peter discovered on the day of Pentecost and the others in that upper room was that he needs your voice to speak them. Dave knows that. He shared this, this morning a little of what is happening out in our world today. But we have the privilege of sharing the words of life. I think one of my favourite characters in the New Testament has to be the man we know as Barnabas. He's one of those people who's all too rare and yet a vital breed of Christians that keeps the church alive and I've met plenty of Barnabases in my years of ministry uh, as I've served the Lord. It all began, of course, with Saul's conversion. 
Saul of Tarsus, the arch enemy of the church, traveling towards Damascus, breathing out threats against the church, intent on making Christians captive and, and, and stamping out this nascent faith, was arrested by Jesus Christ, who appeared to him there in that bright light that shone and that, that arresting experience that he had with the risen Christ. And he went from there to begin to share the message of life in Jesus. And if you look at the book of Acts in chapter 9, you'll find there how he went and into uh, Damascus. He began to preach in all the synagogues, we're told in, in Acts 9 verse 20, that Jesus is the Son of God. He says there in verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So far, so good. It had all gone so well. But of course then when he came to Jerusalem, in verse 26, tried to join the disciples that he was now one of, they didn't trust him. There was a fear amongst them that maybe his conversion was fake, maybe his conversion was not real. And that he was simply using this as a means to infiltrate them so that he could cause havoc and uh, take them to, to prison for their faith in Jesus. And then Barnabas came in. Verse 27 we read this. But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas was a man who had great reputation, great respect among the people, the Christians in Jerusalem. He's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now I guess above all, what we think of when we think of Barnabas is a man who used words to encourage Use words to speak life into people. You know, the church always needs encouragers. People who will build up others. Who are walking this journey and finding the battle sometimes hard. But will bring encouragement to them. I thank God as I look back over my years of walking with the Lord Jesus. For many who've encouraged me over the years. For pastors. For people in ministry. For friends and particularly my wife Lorna and our family. People who pick you up when you're down, point you back in the right direction. People who are encouragers. Barnabas, of course, was putting his life on the line by supporting Saul. He refused to accept the prejudice of those well-meaning Christians who believed the worst of him. But he was risking his own life if he proved to be wrong and they proved to be right. If in the end, Paul would turn out to be one who really was just infiltrating the Christians with the intention of destroying the church. What Barnabas didn't know when he took that step of faith in Saul was what would happen in years to come. He didn't know that Saul, who would become Paul, the, the great apostle, was destined for greatness. <coughs> Barnabas wasn't looking for any reward. He was just building up someone else in the faith. I guess you could say of Barnabas that like every encourager, he could see the pearl in the oyster. 
And yet the era of prosperity that the church enjoyed owed so much to him. Because without Barnabas, there would have been no Paul the Apostle. I think for me as well, if you look at the story of Barnabas, nothing shows his character more than when Paul's gifts led him to become the prominent one. If you look at it, it's there in between Acts 13 and 14, that when they work together in mission, initially it's always Barnabas and Saul. And then suddenly Luke, the author of Acts, switches from chapter 14 to calling it Saul and Barnabas. He becomes the number two rather than the number one. You look back on his life and you look at the New Testament and think, well, where's the epistle of Barnabas? Where's the gospel according to Barnabas? Barnabas wrote no letters, no parts of the New Testament. There are no great monuments, but what a man of God. A man who spoke life, words of life, and God used him in such a powerful way. There's a lovely proverb it's, uh, in Proverbs 15, verse 4, that says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. There are many tongues in our world today that don't bring healing. But you see, the privilege that God gives to you and to me is to offer words of life. In a world of darkness, in a world of confusion, in a world where... The, the, the challenges have never been greater of, of so many different competing ideas that uh, stand in our society and where Christians are finding themselves put in this restriction where we are being limited in what we can say and where we can say it. What a wonderful thing to know that we have tongues that can bring life, that we have words of life. I think I've experienced over the years that words of encouragement are worth their weight in gold. And yet they cost nothing to give. Absolutely nothing. To save somebody from despair. To, to restore those that have been beaten up by other people. To spread light in dark places. Like the sun after the clouds. And we've had a bit of that this morning already. You see, if you tell someone that he's a failure, he'll probably agree. But if you show him that he can turn failure to success, then you give him a hope. You give him a future. If you tell someone who suffers from addiction that his addiction will kill him, he probably knows already. But if you tell him of Christ's love, you point him to a future that he might never have believed was possible. If you tell someone who messes up, you're no good, you probably just confirm what he thinks already about himself. But if you tell him of God's love and God's forgiveness, you can speak words of life into him and give him a hope and a future. As the people deserted Jesus at Capernaum, his numbers had dropped from 5,000 to 12. He turns to the 12 and says to them, are you going to leave as well? And that response of Peter is such a vital clue to our response today. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Today, those are the words that are given to you and to me. Not just for ourselves, but words that we can share in whatever way God enables us to do. That we may bring life and hope and truth and light 
to the lives of those that we encounter. Our time to give those words of life that Peter discovered that day to the people around us. There is surely no greater gift, no greater calling for you and I than the invitation of Jesus to speak words of life in his name. May God enable us to do that to his glory. Amen.